So I'm still on the topic of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when we when when uh, brother Juan passed away, uh, we did divert our topic. I was I was really on the series of book on the Book of Acts, but uh, I know I, I in my heart I really wanted to talk about this. This was all in relation to uh, the death. Of, initially, we talk about death, right, and the coming of Christ, end times, a little bit of that. Uh, and hopefully by next year, January, I'm able to talk about more about the end times and Revelation. We're going to study Revelation starting January uh, and uh, prophecies. But we're still in the, uh, in the topic of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talk about filling of this Holy Spirit last two Sundays. Today, we're, we're going to talk about the life, life uh, through the Spirit. And I'm going to still work on this till next week because I can only work on the half of that Romans 8 passage it's a bit long what Elena read uh, there's so much in that passage we cannot cover everything today I'm just going to focus on the first part of the passage today and hopefully bef before the end of the year I'll try to finish Acts just breeze through the remaining portions of Acts because I know uh, I need to put uh, uh, you know a bow to that like close close the entire series on Acts uh, while we talk about uh, Thanksgiving and and Christmas so so, uh, and by January, we're going to start talking about prophecies and revelation because I wanted to really study revelation. Life through the Spirit. So, you know, last week, we, 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 we saw these verses. There were two verses that we, uh, let's see, why is that? It's dead, Jimmy, so you have to change it for me. Uh, so last week, we, we did talk to these verses, so Ephesians 5.3. And if you remember the beginning of that passage, that we as believers, we must not have even a hint of immorality, of impurity, of greed, talking about different kinds of sin. In general, as believers, we're not supposed to have even a hint of sin in our lives. And I'm, what I'm saying, and, and some, some of you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Al, that's impossible. No, that's not impossible because God did something in our lives to, to allow us to do that. And you know that God has given us the Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit who allows us to do what is right in our sight and overcome sin. Uh, but we're going to focus on that next week. But, but let's look at another passage. Jimmy, uh, you changed that. And also, this other passage we looked at last week. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. We are to mortify. That's another word the Bible uses. Put to death. Whatever belongs to your sinful self, meaning you used to be like this, you used to curse a lot, cuss a lot, or, 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 or used to lose your temper and get, you know, really, really angry and, and, you know, hurt people. He said, put to death those kinds of things. You know, keep it dead. <laughs> keep it dead. Not just put to death, but keep it dead. So, so some of you might be wondering, and I want to address this. It's, are these requirements for your salvation? Does God require, you know, people in general to be saved? But you, need, you need to be this perfect, or I would say, you know, uh, not a hint of sin so that you'll be saved. Is the, are these requirements for salvation? Answer is not at all. It's not a requirement for salvation. We know that already. I hope you know that, 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 that being a good person is not a requirement for salvation, okay? Being religious is not a requirement of salvation. So, so what are these passages talking about? 
So first of all, if you notice, both of these passages were written by Paul. And all the letters of Paul were written, by the way, to Christians. It's addressed to believers. In fact, if you think about Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, all those are churches. It was written to churches. It was written to believers. That's why a lot of people who read the Bible and they're not Christians, they're going to be confused with the Bible because it's not for them. It was not addressed for them, to them. It was addressed to you, believers in Christ. And not only that, it was addressed to also church workers. And who are the church workers that Paul addressed to? Who are the three workers in the Bible that Paul addressed to? Timothy? Okay, you need to read your Bible. <laughs> Titus? And the last one is? Philemon. So those are the three workers that Paul addressed in his uh, letters. And so, so these are written to believers, and these are already people who have eternal life. They are already saved. So when Paul says that, 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 uh, that there must not be a hint of immorality or sin in your life, there must, you must put to death what belongs to your sinful self, this is talking to Christians. It's not talking to someone who does not believe in God. Okay? It's talking to you if you are a Christian, a believer in Christ. So let's go to our passage, Romans 8, 1 to 4. And I'm just, the passage that uh, Sister Elena read, I'm, I'm just going to read the first four verses first. Okay? Are you with me on this? Good? Okay? So therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, the, Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, so you're not anymore under the curse of the law. Uh, you are now free. You're able to do what is right before God. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh to be sin offering, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the spirit, but according, uh, according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So it tells you that God is in, enables you to do what is right because he's... You're able to do what is right because he sent his spirit into your hearts. And as a believer, you're not anymore under that law where you try to do good and you're not able to do it very well. But God has given you the ability to do what is good and what is right in his sight. We're going to spend more time next week on that. But I'm going to focus on verse 1. There's a, go back to verse 1, Jamie. And, 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 and there's, one, there's something that Paul says here. And I want to really zero in on that. He says there, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to emphasize that passage, the word there, no condemnation. You know, when you think of the word condemnation, it is the outcome of a guilty verdict. It is the outcome of a guilty verdict. Meaning, meaning you committed a crime and now you were found guilty. And now you're going to face your sentence. You're going to be punished for a crime that you committed. It is proven that you committed a crime. And, and no condemnation means that there will be no punish, punishment for you. There will be no punishment, no sentence, even though you committed a crime. Okay? No condemnation. 
No condemnation, no punishment because of your sin. That's really what that passage is saying. That, that there is no punishment with, as we, as regard, with regards to your sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, we're, we're on the same page of that, with that. Okay, we're good with that. Okay, that's why we know we are saved. Uh, we have salvation because God is not going to punish us because of our sins. Uh, talking to believers here, talking to Christians. Okay? Why? Or how? How did this happen? How did this happen? Okay, let's go to a passage that's found in John chapter 3. How did this happen? Why is God not punishing us because of our sin? I just, and this is a review of the gospel, so I hope you know this already. Verse 17, uh, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn us, but to save the world through him. And how did Jesus, how does Jesus save us? He said, and how does salvation happen to a person? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Meaning it is because of your faith in Christ. It's because of your, of your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that, you will not face condemnation. Meaning there's no punishment for you anymore. But think about the people in the world. If they don't believe in Jesus, says there, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. It's not, a guess. it's not something you need to guess. When a person's out there and says, I don't believe in Jesus... 100% without a doubt, even 200%, he's going to go to hell. No doubt about it. Even if that person is a good person, even if that person is religious, if that person, you know, he does not do any bad things, he's still going to go to hell. Because the basis for people to be accepted by God is not goodness, it's not dahil mabait, kahit anak mo pa or tatay mo pa, pero mabait pa siya, he's still going to go to hell. Because it says there, it is faith in Christ that saves. It's not anything else. But if you reject Jesus, past tense, you are already condemned. Tapos na. You are in a hopeless state. But unless you change, unless you change your heart, unless you repent and accept Jesus. Okay? I hope that's clear. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus is saved, is not, and will not be condemned. And so condemnation, by the way, is a result of God's anger over sin. It's a result of God's wrath. Um, you know, the word wrath in the, in, in the, in the New Testament, in, in the book of Romans, is mentioned 11 times. You know, one of those verses is uh, Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness. Or, or Romans 2.8 says there, but those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth, who follow evil, there will be the wrath and anger. Uh, there will be wrath and anger. So you notice that the reason why we're being condemned because of sin, because, because of our sin, because God hates sin. He hates sin. As in, the word condemnation is hatred with passion. It's like galit pa, sobrang galit talaga. It's hatred with passion. He hates sin. And he dislikes people who commit sin. You know, the, you know some people say God... Uh, uh, you know, hates sin but loves the, the sinner. He loves the world. He loves everyone. But, but if you commit sin, <laughs> you're, you're going to go with your sin. <laughs> he, he, you're going to go with your sin. He's not going to ignore you because, because you're a person. 
because the whole body goes to hell, not just, not just yourself. Oh, my sin will go to hell, but not me. No, it includes you. You know, in the book of Isaiah, the wrath of God is, is, is described as this. It's Isaiah 51, 17. Um, I, think, I want you to consider this passage. It says there, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you, have, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you will have, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet and makes people stagger. You know, this passage is talking about Israel's judgment. Kasi in Israel, they've been consistently disobeying God. Ang dami na ginawang mga kasalanan, idolatry. They, 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 um, they did things that dishonor God all the time. Eventually, God put judge, uh, placed Israel under judgment. Eventually, they were taken to Babylon, to another country, and were in exile for And And that is God's judgment upon Israel. And this judgment, this punishment that God gave to Israel, in fact, in the succeeding passage, it's not there on the screen, but in verse 19 and 20 of that same passage, it describes calamities, ruin, destruction that came upon Israel because of God's wrath and anger against the sins of Israel. Yung parang rinibuke niya Israel, and the rebuke led to Israel's calamity, you know, judgment and destruction. And here in this passage, the wrath of God is described as a cup. The cup of his wrath. It is described as a goblet. It's a cup or a goblet. It's a bitter drink probably or something. You know, you don't want to drink that because it's, it will, it's going to destroy you. The cup of God's wrath, the cup of the goblet of God's anger. You know that this is not only true for Israel, this is true for all of humanity. This is true for all humanity. The cup of wrath is also there for all humanity because of our sin. However, bear, bear with me on this because I'm leading somewhere here. However, God's goodness and grace, you know, mabait, naman, mabait ang Panginoon, and He's graceful, gracious and good. Instead of letting us drink that cup of wrath, that, that goblet of wrath from God, anger of God, He held off. He, became, he was patient. And in His perfect time, He let someone else drink that cup. Remember who drank the cup? This was Jesus who drank that cup. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus say? He said, Father, let this cup pass over me. Sana hindi mangyari to, pero sabi ng Jesus, you know. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. Let this cup pass over, pero... And Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to submit to you, Father, to your will and do what you call me to do. And Jesus on the cross, he drank that cup of God's anger. All the anger that God has against sin was, was poured on Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why the cross was so gruesome because it is an image of how God is really, really, really angry against sin. In fact, yung mga pick movies about Jesus it, 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 uh, it doesn't do justice on what really happened there mas worse pa 
I know you watch Young Passion, maybe you watch Young uh, Gospel of John, you watch it in the young adult group. The reality of what happened Jesus on the cross is even much, much worse. I hope you know that. You read Isaiah? How long you read Isaiah? The Bible says he was disfigured beyond recognition. You will probably not even know nga tao yan. Sobra ka disfigured si Jesus that you probably wouldn't even know that's a human being they're hanging on the cross. He was so disfigured. I don't know what happened there, but it's extreme. And it's an image of how much God is angry over sin. But, but instead of pouring that wrath upon humanity, he poured it upon his own son. That is why we can say now that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because someone else took that condemnation and Jesus took that condemnation on your behalf. That's really important for us to know. Now, there's another problem with condemnation. You know, God is not anymore condemning you as a Christian, as a believer, but there's another problem. Even though God does not condemn us, we as Christians, we tend to condemn ourselves. And it's called self-condemnation. Self-condemnation. Next slide, Jim. You know, uh, move on to the... Move on to the next slide. Okay, sorry. Uh, Romans, yeah. You know, even as believers of Christ, we tend to condemn ourselves. God does not condemn us anymore because of our sin. But, you know, even as born-again believers, when, when we are still prone to sin, right? We're still prone to sin. Who among you still sins? Yeah, all of us? Let's admit that. Some of you probably sinned just a few minutes earlier when you come before you came to church in the car, maybe. You know, let's admit that. We're prone to sin. And, and, and uh, we're also prone to drift away from the will of God. We're so prone to, you know, stray from what God wants us to do. Now, I want you to look at this passage in Romans uh, 7, uh, 18 to 19. It says there, for I know that that good itself does not dwell in me. So remember the Apostle Paul here is talking to himself and God, uh, uh, you know, self-talk here and, and, and communicating with God about his own struggle with sin. He's saying that, uh, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do what good, uh, the, do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. So this is a struggle all of us struggle with. Even though gusto natin gumawa ng mabuti or we want to do something good, but we ended up doing something bad, what, what's bad. You know, and you can see this in kids. If you tell the kids, hey, don't do that, that they'll do exactly what you told them not to do. And you know they're sinners. They're not really innocent, actually. <laughs> yeah. They know how to lie already. You don't have to teach them how to lie. They know how to lie. <laughs> so, so, this is a struggle that we struggle with. And here's the problem. When we struggle with sin as Christians, and, 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 and we ask God for forgiveness for our sins, 
sometimes we still hold on to that guilt that we experience because of our sin. You know, what happens is many Christians, they experience unnecessary guilt. Unnecessary guilt. You know, unnecessary guilt, I'm going to explain that a bit, um, can lead to discouragement, fruitlessness, can dim diminish your hope. Can, can hinder your, 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 you know, your fruitless, being fruitful as a Christian. You know, self-condemnation, Satan can use this. Parang, parang, he can use it as a foothold or a stepping stone in your life. He can use it as a way to, to, to hinder you, to cause doubts and whatever things he wants to do. You know, you know when you have self-condemnation, you begin to doubt your own salvation you're going to question God's goodness. You're going to question His promises. You're going to doubt His word. You know, the Bible be becomes less attractive to you. Church becomes less attractive with you. You know, and I'm going to explain that more later. That is why whenever we Christians, whenever we commit sin, whenever we do something that's against the will of God, you need to deal with it right away. Specifically, Swiftly and decisively. You have to do it quickly, deal with it, and dis be decisive about it. Deal with that sin right away. Uh, because one of the problems with, uh, in relation to self-condemnation is, you know, even though God forgives you of your sin, we still remember our sins. And that's part of our human nature. We still remember the guilt we felt. We still remember the hurt that we, that we were going through. Whatever emotions that sin brought into your life, it's still there in your mind, even though God forgives, forgiven you. Even though he has already said that, uh, you know, I have forgiven you and I've cleansed your sin and you confess him with your sin with all your heart. You know, and the reason why we need to do this decisively because we don't want the sin to fester, to grow. Did you know that there's, if there's sin in your life and you're not dealing with it quickly and you're just letting it, you know, there in your heart, it's still there. And just, just letting it run loose, you don't really address that. It's going to grow. It's going to take over your heart. And what's, what's scary is that sin, initially, that's something you, you were not concerned about, eventually will become a habit. And eventually will become your lifestyle. And now you cannot even, even tell what is sin and what is not. You don't want to come to that point. You know, who among you have yards here? I know most of your, you have yards here, especially, except those who, who live in apartments. <laughs> but if you live in a house, you have to take care of your yard. And think of a dandelion, right? Uh, I'm very familiar with dandelion because I see that a lot in my yard. <laughs> and the thing is, if I don't remove that small, you know, weed there, dandelion, it will continue to grow. And if you just leave it there... Eventually, it will produce a flower, and that flower will produce seeds. And they will, if you're not going to be taking care of that quickly, the next day morning you wake up, it's all dandelions down in your There's all weeds all over your yard. Sin is like that. When is it small? Deal with it. But if you let it, just leave it there. It will grow and grow and eventually create more sin. It will just... Spread out into your whole being, and you really one day you realize that you already hate the Bible, you already hate prayer, you don't like to go to church anymore. You realize that you're back to your old ways now. You used to be very active in the Lord, serving the Lord, but now you're like you don't care about God anymore. It's like that dandelion that was left alone and snuffed, 
creating more things in your life and destroying your life, by the way. Sin, by the way, can destroy your relationship, your, your, what I mean, your fellowship with God and your service to God and affect your relationship with God. So, so we need to deal with sin quickly, decisively, swiftly. You don't want to let it fester. And how do we deal with sin? And this is really the big, the important, an important aspect of life in the spirit, life in living in the spirit. It's learning to deal with sin quickly, swiftly, and decisively. And we're going to go to a passage, and we're going to go back and forth in, with Romans chapter 8 and this passage, because this is one of those passages that you really need to memorize if you can. 1 John 1, 9, you know all this, right? For, uh, but we're going to look at the context. We're going to start with verse 5. Verse 5. It says there, this is the message we have heard, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him uh, and declare to you. So this is John talking to you Christians. We are declaring this message from God. Uh, this is declaring this message from God. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Okay, we agree with that. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not live out the truth. Seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, talking about the church. You have fellowship with one another and, of course, with God and the blood of Christ, Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And here are, here's the, some of the key verses. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But verse 9 is, our, is a promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness it is a promise God is faithful to fulfill that promise God is just to fulfill that promise it says there verse, uh, go back to verse 5 in God there is no darkness at all in God there is no darkness at all uh, we are to uh, also, in the same way, walk in the light as he is in the light. You know, that passage reminds me of what we've been talking about earlier in Ephesians 3, that there should be no hint of, of impurity, immorality in our life, and, and that we should mortify or put to death what belongs to your sinful nature. This is the same thing. That you are to walk in the light, do what is uh, honorable before God, and 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 and. No hint of sin. It's the same thing because God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. That should be the case for our life as well. Be holy for I am holy. You know, all these things that, that uh, um, you know, it's, it's all over scripture. So, so how do we deal with sin? Let's, let's, uh, there are three things I want to point out based on this passage and we're going to end after this. But we're still halfway. Sorry. So the first thing that you need to remember when dealing with sin first is to embrace God's command that we are to walk in the light. You need to accept the reality that this is what God wants for you to do. This is what God wants you to do. To walk in the light. Meaning, meaning to choose to do what is right. To choose to live a life without any hint of sin. Make that choice. Make that decision. Lord, I will embrace your command to walk in the light. You know, I want to point out this because I know some people might be thinking, Al, is this moral perfection? Do I need to be perfect in this life? Do I need to live a perfect life without any sin at all, zero sin at all? 
That's going to be impossible. Okay? Even Paul himself struggled with sin. So what is this? What are we talking about when we say walk in the light? No hint of sin in your life. Did you know that John, the book of John, 1 John, by the way, is a test. It's a good book to read. read. It's actually a test for Christians to read because it's a test to check whether you're a true believer or not. It's a way to test whether you're really a Christian or not. Try to read the book of John on your own, uh, 1 John, what I mean, and see what John is talking about there. And he, it's a way for you to, to judge yourself. Am I really a Christian? And he's going to ask questions in that book to check. You know, you, those questions are you have to ask yourself. And so, so we're not talking here about moral perfection, but we're talking about heart orientation. Uh, I want to focus on that word, heart orientation. Where is your heart oriented to? Meaning, meaning, is your heart oriented towards the light? Are you drawn towards the light? You know, one of the tests of a true believer in Christ, one of the tests, which is, which is what you just read earlier in John, is that there is a dislike, there is a distaste for anything that is against the will of God. Meaning you dislike sin. You dislike anything that is against the will of God. There's a distaste. You know, it's a different thing to fall into sin because you were not watchful and you're not careful. But it's a different thing that in your heart, alone in your room, alone in yourself, in your innermost being, you want to commit sin. That's a different thing. Because a child of God does not want that anymore. You're not planning to commit sin anymore as a Christian. Your heart doesn't meditate on sin anymore because God has given you the spirit. But if all your life you say you're a Christian, but in your heart you still long and enjoy and you don't have any distaste at all or dislike for sin, then you have to reconsider, am I really a child of God? Because the spirit of God inside of you who is living in you would not, would not, would not allow that. Would not allow that. So, so it's what John is saying here that you are now to live in the light. Do what is right in God's sight. Now, Roman, we're going to go back to Romans 8, verse 5 to 8. I'm going to read this to you, and, and I, I hope you, you will understand where I'm coming from. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the, on what the flesh desires. This is talking about non-Christians here. You know, People who don't have Jesus in their life, their mind is set on what the flesh desires, what the sinful nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You know, I know some people interpret this as, as, uh, as Christians who are carnal. I have, I have some questions about that statement, carnal Christians. I don't even believe that there's such a thing as a carnal Christian because... Because if you are a believer, you will have the desires of God. Even though it's not very obvious, but, 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 but it, it's, it's, it's there. But it says here, because it's what this passage is saying, that the person who does not have Christ, their mind is just drawn to sin. But now that you have the Spirit of God, you are drawn to what the Spirit of, this, uh, Spirit of God. The mind that is governed by the flesh is death. Meaning, it, meaning a person who does not have Christ, who is governed by sin, is death. It's death. Headed to hell. 
But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Now as believers, are you still hostile towards God? I hope not. Because that's not the case for a believer. You're not any more hostile towards God. You're not an enemy of God. But if you are, not, you are a Christian, non-Christian, you are an enemy of God. And God is your enemy as well. Because you are not aligned to his will, aligned to his purposes. And you're a rebel, basically. Mind that is governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit, submit to God's law. Nor it can do so. Now, now it's very clear that it's talking about non-believers. Because people without Christ in their lives cannot obey God, cannot submit to the will of God. In, in fact, it says here, it cannot even do, do so. Impossible. So if a person doesn't have Jesus in his life, he cannot do good, basically. Impossible gumawa ng mabuting bagay, a person who doesn't have Jesus in his life. Impossible. Even if the person looks good, cares for his family, good to his kids, gives money to the poor, whatever, it's still evil in the eyes of God. Whatever good that person is doing in the eyes of God, it's still an evil practice. Because God doesn't really care whether you're, you gave a million dollars or a thousand dollars to the poor. doesn't matter. What God cares for us is our heart, right? Your heart doesn't belong to God in whatever you do. It's rubbish. It's trash. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You see that? So if you don't have Christ in your life, whatever good things you do, you can never, ever please God. Wala kang magagawa na anything that can be good before God's eyes. You know? So here's the thing. A true believer has a compass. Think of a compass, right? Yung direction. You have a compass that leads towards righteousness, that leads towards the light. This is really what Paul is saying. Sometimes a believer may fall, we, we fall into sin, sometimes we fail, but your heart is always drawn towards the light. You're always drawn to, what, to, to do what is right in the God's sight. You always long for fellowship. You always long to fellowship with God in prayer. You always long to, to uh, you know, fellowship with other believers. You long to do what pleases God. There's this compass that just draws you to God. But even though sometimes you fail, you fall, you do something, you cuss, you curse. Sometimes, I hope you're not doing that anymore. Or, or sometimes you, you, you take money from someone else. I hope you don't do that anymore. <laughs> but, but there are times you fail as Christians. Or you, you ended up falling into some immorality. But I hope we're not doing that now. But even though we fail, there's this compass that just points you back to God. You don't feel good in doing these things. That is sinful. But for an unbeliever, there is this compass in their heart that does not lead to light but leads to darkness. They enjoy the things of darkness. They enjoy sin. They plan themselves, oh, I'm going to go to somewhere and I'm going to be drunk tonight. That's my plan. I'm just going to take Uber when I go home. But, but, but you think, think about this. They plan to do something that's against the will of God. It's part of who they are. They're not really guilty about it. And they don't care about the church. They don't care about the Bible. They don't care about prayer. You know, some people, you could, you could force them. You know, there are people in the church. 
You can force them to come to church. You can force them to read the Bible. You can force them to go to Bible study. But if your heart really is not there and you're not longing for the things of God, probably you're not a Christian, even though you're in church. Because your heart is far from God. It's not there. You're just pretender. You're just a fake uh, person, like Judas. Just a pretender. You know, come to church, serve God, but if your heart is not really into the word of God, loving him, your compass is not pointing to God, but pointing to darkness, you must be another Judas, right? So the question is, I hope you're not this person. I hope be you're a genuine, genuine child of God, and your compass leads to righteousness. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, talking about you, you are not in the realm of flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. So he's probably saying, if really, if really the Spirit of God is in you, you will do what is right in the eyes of God, honor Him, and you're not going to be honoring the flesh, although you fail sometimes, but the compass always points back to God. Okay, next thing. Running out of time. Next thing. Uh, First, okay, we, we learned first was that we are to surrender, you know, surrender to the command of God that, that we are to walk in the light. Second thing, we are to humbly confess our sins. Confess. Okay, that passage is found in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. So let me read that passage to you. Uh, if we claim to be without sin, so some people, they say, oh, I'm a good person. I'm not a sinful person. I've done a lot of good things in my life. What did God, what does God call, God call those people who say that they are good and they don't have any sin in their life? Liar. Those are liars. You know what he says there? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. You're a liar. If you say you're a good person and I don't have any sin, I don't have a problem with sin, you are a liar. The truth is not in you. And in verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, we admit that we are sinners, we are admit that we are filthy and wicked, he said, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember that, that, that penitent, uh, 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 you know, sinner uh, in, uh, um, in uh, one, of, one of Jesus' uh, accounts where he said, you know, that this guy was, was beating his breast and he cannot even look at heaven and say, you know, God have mercy on me. You know, that, that, that's the kind of attitude we need to have to have in regards to sin. Remorseful for our sin, repentant of our sin. Now, let me say something in relation to this. You know, your salvation, did you know that your salvation is not according to your power and strength? You cannot save yourself. You cannot force yourself to be saved. Even by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, you say, Jesus, I accept you. Some people, they say that. They accept Jesus. Unless God really saved them from within their heart and there's really genuine transformation, there's genuine work of the Spirit. How much, whatever the person says, save, accept you, Jesus, but there's nothing in their heart. God does not do anything in their heart. That person is not saved. Because you're not saved by just saying those words, I accept you, Jesus. It doesn't, that's not what saves a person. That saves a person is a work of God inside the heart of a person. And, 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 and God convincing that person that I am a sinner. And Lord Jesus, I need you, Lord, because I cannot be saved by my own strength. I, I, I'm hopeless, Lord. I need you, Lord. Accept me, Lord, into you, Lord, kingdom, Lord God. I, 
It's something that really starts in your heart. You cannot just say, Jesus, I accept you. And you're going to say, oh, I'm already saved because I accepted Jesus. That's the reason why there's a lot of false Christians in the world because they think that they're saved by just saying those words. No. It is a work of God. It is God who produces genuine salvation, repentance in the heart of people. And, and, and it is also God who produces genuine repentance in the heart of Christians. Whether it is a specific sin or sin in general, it is God who put, puts that repentance in the heart of person. Siya yung nagbibigay sa yun ng desire and, and let you know that this is sin and stop and you're not, you want to stop doing it. So repentance is the work of God. It is not you who tries to force yourself to repent. You cannot force yourself to repent, by the way. It is God who causes that change in you and to determine, God, I know this is sin. I don't want this in my life and I want to do what is right in your sight. That, that is repentance. You, make, you turn from this direction and turn around and do what is right in God's eyes. It's God who does, does that. And repentance is something that not, doesn't happen at the beginning of your Christian life. It happens every day for the rest of your life. It's a constant process. You know why? Repentance is a moment-by-moment -moment daily process because how many sins do you have? For me, I know I have, a, I have 2 million, 2 million, 2,500 sins, I guess. <laughs> There's millions of things in your life that needs to be dealt with. And on top of your sins, on top of your millions of sins, you still have wrong mindset, uh, thinking, ideas, pattern of life, habits that is against the will of God that needs to change. That's why repentance is a daily, moment-by-moment -moment process because it, there's a lot of things that God has to address in your life. And if you're going to do surgery of 100 things in your body, you're going to be dead, right? So when, you do, when God does surgery, He just does it one at a time, okay? Tanggalin mo natin tong mole dito, ha? Or itong wart dito. One at a time, one at a time, and it takes a lifetime. Because if God do it, does it simultaneously, you're going to be, it's going to be hard. You're going to be overwhelmed. So repentance is a constant thing. But here's the thing. Some people, they'll just say, oh God, I confess to you my sins. And you, in, in your heart, okay, God, thank you for forgiving me because I confess my sins. Maybe some people, they confess their sins because somebody told them, hey, you have to confess your sins to God. So they're being forced to do it. But the thing is, you cannot even force yourself to be truly repentant apart from God's power. So how, what, what needs to happen? Look at this passage. Uh, I hope I have it there. God rejects the proud in James 4.6. This is an important passage. It says, God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. What it tells you is that to come to God in repentance, in confessing, confessing your sin, you need to have a humble heart. To admit before God, Lord, I am a sinner. Oh God, I cannot do this, Lord, anymore. I need you to help me overcome this sin. I admit that this is wrong, oh God. Be humble before him. Because when God sees your humility, humility, his grace works in you. And that's when his power begins to work in you. And transform your heart and give you that repentant heart. Meaning repentance cannot be forced. But God's power works when we are humble before him. That's why it's easy to, to, you know, did you know that it's easy to, show, to, to really, at least for me, to see someone who does not read his Bible or know the Bible or know God. 
It's easy to see someone who, who, who says, I'm a Christian, but, doesn't, but I know ah, that person probably doesn't know God. Because some people, when they say they believe in God, they're a Christian, but they're very good in bragging about, hey, I've accomplished this to God. I'm a worship leader for five years. You know, they always brag about their accomplishments for God, what they've done. You know, but a true believer, we don't, we don't rest on our laurels. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't brag about what we accomplish for God or do, don't do for God. In fact, a believer recognizes his sinfulness. He's humble knowing that I am a sinner. I'm standing here to you, and I know my own sins. I, and I cannot be proud about my sin. I cannot be proud of myself because I know. Proud about whatever I do because I know I'm a sinner. And it's only by the grace of God that I'm able to do this, not because of any kind of goodness I have. Do you think I'm a pastor because I'm a good person? You ask Rella. It's not because I'm a good person. You think because I'm perfect, I, I, I have no sins? No. I can, I, I can mention all my sins this week. If you're going to know all my sins, then you're not going to come to church anymore. It's true. A true believer is humble knowing that he is a sinner and we, you cannot please God with anything that you do. Even if you lead worship, you preach here, it's nothing. We are, we are just here because of the grace of God. God is gracious and he allows us to do these things. If God tells me I'll stop doing what you're doing, you're done, then I cannot, I'll just let God do it, right? Think of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 9.27, he said, No, I strike a blow to my body, make, me a uh, make it a slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament, accomplished a lot for God, he's saying, I don't want to be disqualified. I, I beat my body to do what is right before God. I, I do, after I preach others, I beat my own body body because I want to do what is right before God because I don't want to be disqualified myself isn't it amazing a guy who accomplished so much for God is uh, so humble to admit that he is also a sinner if you really know the Bible you become humble before God I am so amazed even with many of the great preachers today you know, those who really are in the Word. There's a lot of preachers who are very prideful. You can see that on TV. They're mostly on TBN. If you watch TBN, most of the major mayabang preachers are there. But I don't, I, don't, I don't encourage you to watch TBN at all. Uh, but there, there are preachers today that in their success, like one preacher said, you know, when I commit sin, before I even do that sin, I already... Because of the things that God has revealed me, and because, of, because I know the word of God, there are probably dozens and dozens of verses that will come to my mind <laughs> before he commits a sin. And it's a good thing. Because God is reminding you, hey, there must not be a hint of immorality. So don't, don't look at the thing on the computer, okay? There must not be a hint. Mortify the flesh. You're reminded of all these verses, all these verses before you even do anything. Makes you humble. Lastly, and... Lastly, move on and forgetting what is behind. So, so first thing is commit yourself. Lord, I'm going to do what is right in your sight. Confess your sins. Be specific. Have a humble heart before God. Admit your weakness. Admit your failures. Then 
God promised to forgive you, he said in his word. Then move on, forgetting what is behind. Um, verse 9, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us uh, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have no sin, we make ourselves to be a liar. His word is not in us. Meaning once you confess your sins to God and you know in your heart that God is giving you peace and forgiveness, move on. Move on. Because Christ already paid for your sin. You know, um, I'm trying to see if I can. You know, when, 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 when we have this tendency that when we commit sin, we tend to wallow in that sin. We hold on to that sin. And God has already forgiven you. But God says, now that you ask for forgiveness, move forward. Keep, move forward. Move on. Because the reason why we are not moving forward, we remember our sin, we remember the emotions because of this sin. And this guilt of trying to hold on to the guilt of sin is not the kind of guilt that God wants for you. That's why this is a battle for us Christians. We must constantly fight the battle of remembering the sins that God has forgiven. So let me read to you this one last passage. Philippians 3, 3 to 15. 3, 13 to 15, because I'm over time already. It says here, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us then, have, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Paul is saying, you know, we, we, it doesn't mean that we should forget, we should not learn from our past, we should learn from our past. But what but Paul is saying here, that once you have moved forward from your failure, he said, press on. Look forward. He said, press on, move on. And, and, and forgetting the sins of your past, the guilt that it brought, even your attainments. Forgetting your attainments, your successes in the past. Paul is saying that, that you should not be content on where, where you are in your Christian life. Keep on moving forward. You know, Paul did not have a sense. Now, sometimes as Christians, we have this tendency, oh, I, I'm already this. I have attained this. I have attained a certain level. Paul did not think like that. He didn't feel that I have attained a certain level. He's always hungry, moving forward. He didn't have a sense that I have made it. Forgetting what is behind is not that we should, be, we should not be learning from our past. But this means each day, we must face each day as if it is a new beginning. And as if you did not have a, a past. There's no need to account all your accomplishments. You know, we have this tendency to give a resume to God. God, you know, here's my resume. These are all what the things I did for you. You know, God doesn't care about your resume. What he cares most. You know, some people also say, oh, God, I accepted you in 2012. That was my birthday of my salvation. You know, some people think like that, but I never found that in the Bible. There's nothing like that in the Bible to think about the day of your, when you accepted Christ. There's nothing like that. So I don't think it's really that important. What really matters is this very moment, are you in Christ already? This very moment, right now.
Are you a believer in Christ? That's what matters. Whatever happened yesterday, it's done. Whatever, whatever sins you committed in the past, past, it's done. Whatever good things you've done in the past, tapos na yun. Start a new beginning each day, forgetting what's behind, strain to what is ahead, press on towards the mark, towards Jesus Christ, who is our, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we will have this heart as a church, O oh God, to press on, O oh God, even though, Lord, sometimes we fail, O oh God. Lord, help, Lord, remind us that we're not going to wallow in our sin. We're not going to dwell in our failures and weakness, but we are to admit that we are sinners, that we, are, we committed a sin, and we are, we are humble in, in our heart to confess, Lord. Give us the kind of heart, everyone here, Lord, a heart that is humble, O oh God, to admit that we are sinners, Lord. And Lord, to confess, O oh God, whatever sin we committed, and, and even if we need to be specific, Lord, help us, Lord. And so take this time, just this last few moments, talk to God, and Lord, I confess my sins, Lord. I confess that I am a sinner, Lord. And I surrender to you, Lord God. Lord, cleanse my heart, O oh God. And Lord, I want to face this week anew, O oh God, like a new person, as if I don't have a past, O oh God, that a new day, O oh God, your, 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 your faithfulness, O oh God, is new every morning, O oh God, and we can, we can face each day, O oh God, afresh, O oh God. Lord, and help us to move on and move forward, and, and don't let Satan, O oh God, take advantage of our past sins, O oh God, and, and, and don't let him bring about any kind of self-condemnation because in Christ Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation, Lord. And thank you, Lord. Thank you. Sure, I ask your grace and blessing to be upon this church and even uh, as we fellowship today, Lord God. ask your blessing upon everyone here, uh, uh, Lord, that, that, that your joy will just saturate every heart. Your spirit will fill us, O oh God. And let your word just flourish in us, O oh God, and take over every part of our being, O oh God. Lord, may your glory be manifested in this church and be manifested, be shown in every heart, every life here, Lord. Lord, we want to be holy, a holy people, O oh God, before you, so that you can use us, O oh God, in, 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 mighty, in your mighty work, O oh God. That you will use us without hesitation, O oh God. Oh God, that's my prayer for everyone here. And they will experience the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Christ. What it means to be a child of God. There's so much, so much you have promised to us. And help us to fully experience all those things, Lord. Fill us with the fullness of your joy, Lord Jesus. Fullness of your joy. Of your peace. Of your strength, oh God. Of the power you promised, Lord. And it is the power of the Spirit. That, it, that raised Jesus from the dead. Let it be the same power at work in our lives every day, Lord. Every day. Thank you, Lord. All glory and honor be to you, Lord. All glory and honor. Praise. In Jesus' name.